Christ has had much controversy with the Pharisees and the scribes. He has debated them on many issues. The forgiveness of sins, Sabbath-keeping, fasting, sitting with sinners. Mark chapter 7 brings us to the heart of the matter. It does so in two ways. One, the source of authority. In verses 1 to 13, Christ teaches that Scripture is the ultimate final authority. Whereas the Pharisees and scribes say that tradition is of equal authority. Secondly, in verses 14 to 23, Christ teaches it's the heart of a man that defiles him. It's his sin inside him. Whereas the Pharisees were teaching it's merely the externalism, ritualism, what you do. Today we take up the first controversy. Scripture versus tradition. What is your authority? Well, we must understand what tradition is not and what it is here, because the Bible is not against all tradition. There's a stereotype out there about Protestants that we're against all tradition. We are most certainly not against all tradition, because the Bible is not against all tradition. When Christ condemns tradition here, and when the Bible elsewhere does, it does not condemn every tradition. For example, we hold family traditions. Maybe there's a certain day of the year, there's a, an annual get-together, or maybe there's specific food you make every Thanksgiving day. These are traditions, these are things handed down to us. There's nothing wrong with these family traditions. Or there's political traditions. Every nation has its own political traditions. A tradition of this nation now is that the US president can only serve for four years per term and two terms. That's a political man-made tradition. There's nothing wrong with those kinds of traditions. There's what's called circumstantial traditions. The Bible says we have to teach the doctrine, teach the truth. Well, how do we do that? There's many ways. We can do preaching, of course. But we believe in catechizing and creeds and passing on truth from generation to generation. There are certain traditional ways you may do that. You may have family worship at 8 in the morning, 10 in the morning, noon, 8 at night. Whatever time it is, it is a tradition. And there's nothing wrong with that sort of tradition. We meet at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m., And if we go from generation to generation and it remains the same, then it's a tradition. Is that wrong? Of course not. It's a circumstance. There's also what is called apostolic tradition. That is, the truths and doctrines revealed in the Bible, which are to be handed on from generation to generation. These are good traditions, biblical traditions, 1 Corinthians 11, 2 Thessalonians 2, 2 Thessalonians 3 speak of apostolic traditions, doctrines taught by the the apostles, 
revealed in Scripture and handed from generation to generation. So all these traditions I've just mentioned, nothing wrong with them. So what exactly is the tradition or traditions is the Bible and Jesus Christ speaking against? These are traditions that come from man and not the Bible that speak of doctrine and worship. This is the tradition here. Doctrines and worship that come from man and are not taught in the Bible. That's the traditions here which are condemned by Jesus Christ and Scripture. And we see, first of all, in this passage, that Scripture is laid aside by tradition. If you have a man-made, man-originated tradition of doctrine or worship, it will automatically lay aside the Bible. We see that with the Pharisees and scribes. And it's here we have to have a true, realistic view of the Pharisees. Often we get them wrong. The Pharisees, for example, believed in grace. They never denied grace. Anyone who stands up and says the Pharisees did not believe in grace has never read anything on the Pharisees. And we must have a real view of the Pharisees in terms of tradition. We paint them as some kind of boogeymen under the bed. Who they were evil and nasty and they were intent to go against the Bible and against Jehovah. That's not the case. That's not the case. These were men who took the things of God very seriously. They took the Bible very, very seriously. They would say that they believe in and they love the God of the Bible. And all they want to do is obey God. And they would come to the Bible and read it, and they would come to passages like this. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, to do no work, but to rest. And then they would ask questions. What exactly does this mean? How do I keep it? The Bible hasn't given me exhaustive details on how to and how not to. What about this situation? What about that situation? And therefore they sought to obey the Bible. Now, where would they get their answers from? The traditions of the elders. These traditions were not written or handed down to contradict the Bible, but to rightly interpret and apply the Bible in all of life. And they sought to help people from generation to generation obey God. Now, these were no new traditions. They were very old. Some claimed they came from Moses himself. That on Mount Sinai, Moses received both 
a written law of God and an oral law of God. Now, of course, that's not the case, but that's what they did believe. And their forefathers had this tradition of how to read the Bible and apply the Bible. And it was handed down from father to son, father to son, father to son, father to son. And everywhere they went in the church, Jerusalem, Galilee, um, if you went abroad to the synagogues, everyone knew these traditions and everyone kept the traditions. Everyone's doing it. This is the view of traditions. Is that not very similar to us? Do we not love God? Do we not love the Bible? Do we not desire to obey the word in all life? Do we not come to passages and think and scratch our heads? How does this apply in this situation and that situation? See, the Pharisees and scribes are not made up boogeymen under the bed, but they were real people who sought to apply the Bible to all of life and they looked to traditions to help them. The tradition in this passage is the ceremonial washing of hands. We're sinners, the Pharisees said. We're all sinners, you and me. We're all naturally unclean. And if we come into contact with anything unclean, we ourselves become unclean. And if we eat foods that are unclean, we're unclean. Therefore, we're to ceremoniously wash our hands before eating. Or if you go to the marketplace, there's lots of sinners there. You might be moving next to a leper or a Gentile or someone who's in sin and you're in contact with them and you become sinful and unclean. Therefore, when you go to the market, when you go to mine, you buy your groceries, you come back, you wash your hands ceremoniously so that you eat as a holy person and you're clean. And what they would do is literally they would baptise their hands. In verse 4 and verse 8, where it says washing, it's the word baptism. And what they would do is they would have a bowl of water, they would put the, the water in their hand, and then they would pour it in the other hand as a ceremonial cleaning. Then take the other hand, take up the water, and baptise their hand. This is one of many texts that prove the word baptism does not mean immersion at all times. Baptism simply means washing. It could be immersion, or it could be sprinkling, or it could be pouring, or it could be dipping. Context decides. And here's one of the evidences that baptism means pouring over your hands to clean your hands. But this washing your hands ceremoniously, now we should all wash our hands for hygiene, but it's not speaking of that. But this washing of hands ceremoniously every time before you eat is not taught in the Bible. You can go to the Old Testament from Genesis to Malachi and you'll get no command or example that all the people of God at all times are to ceremoniously wash their hands before eating. It's not in the Bible. It was a tradition to teach the people of God to be holy. And their man-made tradition was based upon biblical truths. But their man-made tradition was still of man and not the Bible. 
What biblical truths were these man-made traditions based upon? The general principle, be ye holy, for I am holy. The Bible says, do not be unclean. Second principle comes from texts like Leviticus 11.25 and Leviticus 15.11 that says, if you touch something that's unclean, you become unclean. If you touch a dead body, you become unclean. If there is a discharge of the body, you are unclean. And in these texts, when you're unclean, you should wash your hands and wash your body. What about living holy lives in the presence of God? Exodus 19. The people of God were not to approach God unless they washed their hands and washed their bodies. And then elsewhere in the Old Testament, in Exodus 30, 19, the priests are the very examples of holiness. Before they serve God in the tabernacle, must wash their hands and wash their bodies. And then the men of old took these principles and then created this man-made tradition. We should all be holy. We should all be clean. Therefore, every time you eat, ceremoniously wash your hands before eating. Every time you go to the store and you buy your groceries, wash your hands ceremoniously before eating. And this was their man-made tradition. And do we not see such like in the church today? When you actually present the Pharisees in their real light, you will see the Pharisees and their man-made tradition is not a hundred miles away from the modern church. There is so much man-made traditions that people hold and their intention, they say, is good and biblical. What examples? Well, the great example is the central doctrine of the, the battle of the Reformation. In the 16th century, we have Roman Catholicism, which believed the Bible is the Word of God and sacred tradition is the Word of God. And then you had the Protestants, which believed in Scripture alone as the Word of God. Scripture alone as the authoritative, sufficient, final Word. And Roman Catholicism created many, many, many doctrines and brought in many, many, many aspects of worship that you cannot find in the Bible. And they're created by man. But it's easy to point to Roman Catholics. We've done that before, we'll leave that. We'll think of Protestants. We have many man-made traditions that are not taught in the Bible, though we can proof text the Bible just like the Pharisees. Think of Arminianism, that man has free will and it is not controlled by sin. That's not in the Bible. 
the Bible's clear that we are dead in sins and trespasses. That the natural man is enmity against God and cannot ability be subject to the law of God. Yet a man-made tradition is in Protestantism. Or think about aspects of worship. The altar call. The sinner's prayer. That if you're a six-year-old child and you're manipulated by music and tricks to believe that you need Jesus, then you simply say a prayer, Jesus, I receive you into your heart, and you're saved. That's false. Nowhere that's in the Bible. The Bible converts us when the law of God humbles us as sinners. And then the grace of God comes and says, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. Or what about us who are reformed? It's interesting, I listened to many sermons on this text and I heard reformed people and I'm just looking for reformed people to say something and nothing was ever said about reformed churches because, of course, we've got no traditions. We're right and everyone else is wrong. The arrogance and pride. What about you? Do you have a doctrine you believe in Or is there an element of worship you believe and it's not actually taught or exampled in Scripture, but it's been handed down to you by tradition or experience or emotion? I can name three very quickly and easily. One, hymns. Non-inspired, man-made hymns. Quite simply in the Bible, is there a single example of non-inspired, man-made hymns being sung in the New Testament church? None whatsoever. And yet everywhere sings man-made hymns. Why is that? Because of the same view of the Bible as the Pharisees. What's a legalist? A legalist is someone who adds to the Word of God. That's what Pharisees do. And hymns are not in the Bible, they're not taught in the Bible, and yet we have hymns today. That's a man-made tradition, just like the Pharisees. Instruments in public worship. Now, if we were the Old Testament, we would certainly have instruments, because God commanded it. We would sacrifice animals, we'd go to the temple, we'd offer incense, I'd be a priest in a long robe, and we'd have certain instruments, trumpets and cymbals and harps. But we live in the New Testament and there is no temple and there is no priesthood. And so in the New Testament church, is there a single example or teaching of instruments in worship? Not a single verse. You read all 27 books of the New Testament. Interesting. And yet what do we have today? Instruments everywhere. Because we've laid aside the Bible for man-made traditions. In the Old Testament, there were holy days. There were seven festivals. Day of Atonement, Passover, Unleavened Bread, Feast of Booths, etc. But that's gone away now. We're in the New Testament. Is there a single holy day in the New Testament? You read Matthew to Revelation. Is there a single day where we set apart holy days? Not a single one except for the Lord's Day. And yet the church today celebrates Christmas and Easter. Easter. 
But it's not in the Bible. Now, someone can be a Pharisee. And the Pharisees, remember, they went to the washings of the priests. And if you touch a dead body, then you wash your hands. Therefore, everyone's to wash their hands. This is how Pharisees read the Bible. Jesus is the incarnate Son of God. The incarnation is necessary for salvation. It's a good thing that we praise God for the incarnation. Therefore, let's have a holy day and have Christmas. It's the same way of using man-made traditions forced on the Bible as the Pharisees. And so we should not be arrogant people who point to other people with all their traditions, but we reformed, we're perfect. No. The Pharisees, man-made traditions and legalism is alive and well today. And how does Jesus respond to man-made traditions with good intentions? He says in verse 6, He said unto them, Well has Isaiah prophesied of you hypocrites. Hypocrites. It's a strong word. Jesus has not been very nice or charitable here, it seems. Now, if I called you a hypocrite, you'd be having a go at me. But Jesus says hypocrites. What's a hypocrite? The word comes from the theatre, where in those days you would have a mask for one role, and when you played another role, you would flip around and have the mask for another role. And when we have man-made traditions, we're hypocrites, because we have one mask that says, I believe in the word of God. The Bible is the authoritative, sufficient word of God. I will only ever do things that are in the Bible. And then the other mask, we have our traditions. What we feel, what we like, what we've experienced, what our grandparents have brought to us. And though it's not actually in the Bible, I'm still going to hold to my tradition. That's a hypocrite. And then he quotes Isaiah 29, 13. People who, it says, are fearing God from the precept of man. That their religion is man. He says, first of all, they honour me with their lips. My lips, I believe the Bible. I believe the scriptures. I believe that God says his word is here. It's authority. I sufficient with my lips. But their hearts are far from God. Because I have my likes I have my preferences, I have my tastes, I have my emotions, I have my childhood experiences, I have that which my grandmother or my father handed down to me. But God's gracious, isn't he? He's a God of mercy, he is. What happens when we have doctrine or worship that's from man and not God? He accepts our worship, does he not, because it's sincere? No, he doesn't. In vain they worship me. Vanity, worthless, nothing to me. Why? 
Why would God see our worship as vanity, teaching for doctrines the commandments of men? I didn't command it. I said in my word, whatsoever is not commanded is forbidden. Deuteronomy 12, 32, whatsoever I command you, observe to do it. Don't add to my word, do not take away from my word, do exactly as I command you. It doesn't matter what you think, it doesn't matter what you feel, it doesn't matter what you experience, it doesn't matter what the church says, it doesn't matter what's been handed down. Do my words. Do not add and do not subtract. And Jesus taught the exact same thing in the New Testament. They that worship me must worship me in spirit and in truth. And Colossians 2, where Paul speaks against man-made worship and doctrine, Colossians 2.22, after the commandments, the doctrines of men, which things have indeed a show, an appearance of wisdom, but he calls it well-worship. My friends, how do you approach God? Let's start with the heart. You and your lips can say, Oh, I believe the Bible. Oh, I believe Jesus is Lord and Savior. Oh, I believe, I believe, I believe. It's worthless except the heart says it so. You can be someone who talks of sin and repentance and faith and it's meaningless and worthless if it's only on your lips. True worship begins with the heart bowing down before a holy God and saying, I am a sinner. I have broken your law. I am unrighteous. I deserve hell and judgment and punishment for my lies and my cheating and my covetousness and my idolatry and my Sabbath breaking and my sexual immorality and my disobedience. I deserve this. But you're gracious, God. God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and you, out of love, have sent Jesus Christ to die for sinners, and if I believe in him, I will be forgiven. That's where it starts. So not with your lips, but with your heart, do you repent of your sins and believe in Christ. Then you shall be saved. But it's also speaking about what we believe, doctrine, and how we worship God. And if we have man-made tradition 2,000 years old, handed down from our great-great-great-great-great-great-grandfather, and all the church is doing it, it's still to be seen as pharisaical, man-made, and legalistic. And when we do have a tradition, it's laying aside the Word of God. I believe the Bible, but I'm putting it aside because I believe in this doctrine. I believe the Bible, but I'm putting it aside because I have this worship practice that I really enjoy. It's the same attitude as the Pharisee. Are you a Pharisee? But secondly, Scripture is rejected by tradition. You see, it's not simply laid aside and ignored. 
when you have a man-made tradition in doctrine or worship, you are rejecting the very Word of God. Verse 9 is clear. Full well ye reject the commandment of God so that you may keep your own tradition. This is a black and white issue. This is not a both and issue. This is an either or issue. There's no harmony. There's no alliance. There's no covenant here. You either believe what is biblical and is in the Bible, or you don't. You either worship as the New Testament church worshipped, and it's evidently in New Testament worship in the scriptures, or you don't. It's either of God or man. No grey areas, black and white, no both and, either or. If you have a tradition that's doctrinal or worship, you reject the word of God. Christ gives an example. He comes to the law of God, the fifth commandment. Honour thy father and thy mother. Honour means to respect them, to esteem them, and that you'll do them good and you'll obey them. Let's say your parents are sick or ill, what do you do? You do everything in your power, financially, your time, your availability, to help them. You honour them. And then Christ gives the condemnation of the law. What happens if someone does not honour their parents? They shall be put to death. That's how serious God takes obedience to parents. He's not talking of a wee five-year-old there speaking about to his mother. He's speaking about all children in all ages. Do you honour your parents? Young children, do you honour your parents? Do you love them? Do you respect them? Do you esteem them? Do you listen to them? Do you obey them? It's what God says you are to do for his glory and for your own good. Do you obey and honour your parents? Adults, what about you? The fifth commandment doesn't stop when you're 16 years old or 18 or 21. Do you honour your parents? Respect them, esteem them, listen to them, obey them. Do you provide for them, protect them, nourish them, visit them, Make sure they are doing well. If you're not, you're sinning. The Bible is clear. We are to honour father and mother. Here comes the tradition, korban. Korban is a Hebrew word that means devoted gift. And in the Bible, there were certain things devoted. For example, when there was a particular evil people, uh, everything was devoted Um, You're not to keep the money or the livestock, you're to destroy it all. Or, in the Old Testament, the first fruits. uh, When you had the the firstborn, an animal or something, they were devoted to God. You You couldn't take an animal and eat it for your meal. It was devoted for God. Well, these biblical principles of devoted, Corbin, were turned into a man made tradition. 
that you could just simply say at any time something was carbon dedicated to God and it was for God and you gave it to no one else. And in the old times we know that there was no welfare system. There was no financial help. And so parents would come in need. Maybe they've had a fall. Maybe they can no longer live themselves. Something. And you could bring in the carbon rule. My home, my property, my cottage, my money, my whatever. Carbon! And that man-made tradition said, you don't have to give it to your parents. They could be sick. They could be at death's door. You do not give it. It's for God. It's for God. That's their tradition. But by having that tradition, it contradicts the fifth commandment. Honour your father and your mother. You can't keep the commandment and the tradition. And then Christ says in verse 13, making the word of God none effect, useless. Just absolutely useless now. Through your tradition. Let's think of a doctrine. Roman Catholicism teaches that there are many mediators, many intercessors. There's angels, there's Mary, there's saints. But the Bible clearly says in 1 Timothy 2, there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. One mediator. How do we ever forgive us our sins? How do we receive the blessing of God? How are we reconcile to God? Christ alone, one mediator. But yet Roman Catholicism teaches many mediators. Tradition rejects. The Bible says, Deuteronomy 12, 32 again, Whatsoever I command you in worship, observe to do it. Do not add, do not take away. Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 2 says clearly, Ye shall not add unto the word which I commanded you, neither shall ye diminish from it. And when we have anything in worship that's not actually in the Bible, it's rejecting the Word of God. So when Paul says sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, which are the three Greek titles to the Psalter, where every song is inspired of God in the Scriptures, and we have a non-inspired man-written song, It rejects the Word of God. Every time we read the Bible, and Hebrews 8 says, the Old Testament elements of worship are fleshly carnal ordinances, and they've been fulfilled in Christ, and now it's spiritual worship, and we bring in pianos and organs and guitars and violins and what have you, we are rejecting the Word of God. And when the Old Testament had seven festival feast day, holy days, and all everything else connected to it, and the New Testament has none, and we have Christmas, Easter, and Ascension Day, and the rest of it, we are rejecting the Word of God. How should we apply all this? First of all, know and reject your traditions. 
Remember, we're not talking about family traditions. We're not talking about political traditions. We're not talking about apostolic traditions. We're not talking about circumstantial teaching traditions. We're not talking about that. They're all good, good traditions. We're talking about a doctrine, element of worship, or a holy day that comes from man and not Scripture. Reject it. And this is hard because we love our traditions and we're blinded to our traditions. You have to start with the heart. You need to understand your heart, Jeremiah 17, is deceitful and desperately wicked. You need to understand the power of sin in your life. Hebrews 3.13, the deceitfulness of sin. You need to understand how powerful tradition and emotion and experience is. Speak to an Arminian and tell that Arminian that what they believe is not in the Bible and they'll be emotionally against you. Speak to someone who's passionate about tent revival meetings and altar calls and sinners' prayers and they will be filled with tears in their eyes and saying how wicked you are. We have the same blindness. That's where Psalm 139, God search me, know me, try my reins. I am a sinner. I am blind. My whole emotional being will remain with man-made traditions and will reject the word of God or reinterpret the word of God just like the Pharisees. Please reveal to me my traditions. Expose them to me, God, though I feel like I'm in the dust so that I can honour you, respect you and obey you. And then come to that tradition. Is it in the Bible? Not can you get proof texts like the Pharisees, but is it actually in the Bible? And it's going to be hard. It's not easy. Reject it. Reject it. Reject it. Because either one or two ways, you keep the word and reject your tradition, or you keep your tradition and you reject the word. Make sure you keep the word and reject your tradition. Second application, love and apply scripture alone. Second Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, instruction in righteousness, so that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Love your Bible. The Bible is the source of all truth, salvation, eternal life, wisdom, God's wealth so that I can please him. This is your book, not your tradition, not what the church says, not what great-grandmother or grandmother has said to you. This is your authority and it is sufficient. Some Christians wrote a document called the Cambridge Declaration and it was calling the evangelical church to return to what is evangelicalism as summarized in the five solas. Scripture alone, 
Christ alone, faith alone, grace alone, to the glory of God alone. And this is what they say in the scripture alone part. Scripture alone is the inerrant rule of the church's life. But the evangelical church today has separated scripture from its authoritative function. In practice, the church is guided far too often by the culture, therapeutic technique, marketing strategies, and the beat of the entertainment world often have, been far, often have far more to say about what the church wants and how it functions and what it offers than does the word of God. As biblical authority has been abandoned in practice, as its truths has faded from Christian consciousness, and as its doctrines have lost their saliency, the church has been increasingly emptied of its integrity, moral authority, and direction. Every evangelical will stand, I believe the Bible is the authoritative word of God. Okay. But does that Bible have authority of what you actually do? It's a different question. You can claim Scripture alone, but do you live Scripture alone? Do your traditions and experiences and emotions and upbringing and family heritage get in the way of the Word of God? Or does the Word of God get in the way of all your traditions? Love Scripture with your whole heart. Psalm uh, Psalm 19, the Word is more precious than gold, yea, much fine gold. Is it to you? It is sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. Is it to you? Do you wake up every morning and this is where you go to? More important than your coffee, more important than your breakfast, more important than your day. Do you know what you believe and why you believe it? Or do you have a reformed tradition? I'm tired of hearing people, they change their minds because Turretin said it. Tired of hearing people changing their mind because Owen said it or Rutherford said it or the confession said it. We should only change our minds when Scripture says it. Do you know what you believe in? Why? What is justification? Well, where is it in the Bible? Justification is the gospel. Can you prove to me that justification is in the Bible? Chapter and verse. Can you prove to me that justification is not a work but an act. Prove it to me in the Bible. Do you believe that justification is us declared as righteous? Prove that to me in the Bible, chapter and verse. Do you believe that I am righteous by the imputation of Christ's righteousness? Where is that chapter and verse in the Bible? Do you believe the instrument is faith without works? Prove to me chapter and verse. I don't want to know what your catechism says. Ultimately. I don't want to know abstract truths and what someone's told you. Where in the Bible is the very gospel of justification by faith alone? Now add that to every other doctrine. Adoption, sanctification, predestination, ecclesiology, the doctrine of the church, the hypostatic union, the communication of properties. Where is that? In the Bible. 
love and apply Scripture alone. Read your Bible incessantly, without ceasing, day and night. Study it. Don't just read it, study it. What do you believe and why do you believe it? Chapter and verse, not what a man says. And final application, fear and love God with your heart because that's where it begins. Why is it a tradition or an experience or an emotion usurp itself over the word of God? Because there's something wrong with the heart. It must start with faith in Jesus Christ. Genuine, saving, grace-wrought, spirit-wrought faith in Jesus Christ. And then you want to pray Psalm 86, 11. Lord, unite my heart to fear thee. That's a prayer. Unite my heart to fear thee. If you fear God, you will tremble at his word. When was the last time, seriously, you trembled at the word of God? There was such a sense of the awesome presence of God as you opened up his word. And when you read that word or heard it preached, you knew, not theologically, but in reality, God was speaking to you. And therefore with fear, not a slavish fear, a loving father fear, with such respect and honour, you dread not disobeying your God. Have that when you come to the Bible. And when you do, with all your heart, you will love the Scriptures. It has the words of eternal life. It has the words to eternal salvation. For peace, for rest, for joy, for conscience, for assurance, for all these beautiful and wonderful things flow from the inerrant, infallible, authoritative, sufficient Scriptures. And man-made traditions are thrown and cast away. Let us all be Scripture alone Christians in word and in deed. Let us pray. Our glorious God, we pray that none of us are hypocrites. None of us honour thee with our lips but have our hearts far from thee, that our worship would not be vanity and that our traditions reject the word of God. Father, our hearts are desperately wicked and deceitful. Sin is deceitful. Satan is. Our traditions, our emotions and our experiences are so strong. Release us by the grace of Christ. Forgive us our sins of rejecting the word of God, even with omission or implicit. But help us to love scripture. Help us to meditate on it. Help us to study it and search it and to know all that we believe is rooted and grounded in it and we know where it is. And Father, give us full assurance of faith in these things. 
that what we do believe is not a tradition, but it's from the living, breathing Word of God. And Lord, then, may we be prepared to die for the sake of truth. In thy Son's name, Amen.